0: We're going to be in starting in John chapter 3 today, John chapter 3, verse 1. So it's been an interesting kind of walk so far through John, don't you guys think? Like last week, we studied and talked about where, where uh, Jesus comes in here and he's just flipping over tables, man, and doing crazy stuff, right? He's turned water into wine, he's flipping over tables in the temple, he's threatening and said, I'm going to tear this thing down and build it back up in three days, Right? It's been an interesting walk so far as we've been going through the, the book of John. Well, today's a little bit different. Jesus sitting not turning over tables. He's not making a water into wine, you know. Uh, today's a little bit different. Today is a story about a guy who comes to Jesus who's seeking truth. It's about a guy who comes to Jesus and who genuinely has questions, who's genuinely seeking truth, who's genuinely wondering what this jesus character is all about and I, as as i was kind of like reading and studying this text this week it just i know that this is like 2000 years old but it reminded me so much of where we are today in our in our culture and our world i feel like we have so many people who are seeking and searching and looking for truth they have questions they're needing answers they want to find hope they want to find peace i i think you know, people say that the, the church is on the decline and whatever. But I think, man, that we live in one of the most spiritual times in history. The problem is that people are looking for the answer. They're just not finding Jesus in the answer. Or excuse me, they don't think Jesus is the answer. And I don't know all the reasons for that. You know, I don't know if it's because they've been hurt. I don't know if they, you know, if they've been hurt by the church or whatever that is. But we, I believe, live in a super just this spiritual time where people are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They're looking for truth. Like, I believe they're genuine, genuinely seeking truth. And I just want to find Jesus, man. I want to find that truth. And so it just kind of, it just kind of hit me and made me just, it just reminded me of where our culture is today, right? And so here we are at this story as it takes place right after Jesus turned over the tables and uh, he's turned the water into wine. And, and, and it seems like crazy stuff, but what he's been doing in those stories is he's been symbolically showing the Hebrew people, symbolically showing uh, the Jewish people that I've come to change things, man. This this old religion that you guys are following, this old way, I've come to change things. I've come to bring something new. And so um, after the temple incident where Jesus is trying to show him, I'm coming to bring something new, here comes this guy. And there's this guy named, his name is Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was actually around there. He would have seen Jesus turn the water into wine, or he would have heard about it at least. And he's probably, if he wasn't in the temple when Jesus was flipping over the tables, he was around it, heard about it, knew what was going on. And so after Jesus does this, this guy Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus seeking truth. And what's interesting is he wants to know truth. He wants to find out the truth from Jesus. But if you, as you will read, he comes at nighttime to seek this truth because it's like he wants to know the truth but he doesn't want anybody else to know that he's coming for the truth right so he's like i'm just going to come under the cover of darkness i'm going to come quietly don't want anybody to know i'm going to seek out jesus but guess what even in the dark even in the nighttime jesus is there and jesus speaks and jesus answers and so this this nicodemus guy is a really he's he's kind of famous in the bible he's a pretty he's a pretty interesting character this nicodemus he comes secretly at night, and one of the reasons why he comes secretly at night is because Nicodemus represents the spiritual elite. Nicodemus represents the spiritual leadership in the church. Nicodemus was, as the Bible calls, a Pharisee. And, and I'm not going to go into all of the, what a Pharisee is, but the Pharisees were essentially the religious elite, like the super pastors. Um, and coincidentally, they were the people who were most who Jesus had the most contentious relationship with, the super religious. And it it always stands out to me. It always strikes me as interesting, and probably for you guys too, right, as you read the Bible, the people who Jesus is having the most trouble with isn't the people who are like the prostitutes or the drug addicts or the people who know that they're lost, the people who know that they're going nowhere. It's the spiritual elites, right? And so these Nicodemus, his people, are the ones that Jesus kind of has the most contentious relationship with. As a matter of fact, this Nicodemus was a very important rabbi. At one point in the text, Jesus re- refers to him as the teacher of Israel. Not just like some teacher or like some rabbi, the teacher of Israel. Like if y'all me, started calling me, Michael Gerald, the pastor of Texas, it could stick, right? But that would allude to me being important, right? Which I'm not, but... So, but so Nicodemus—he's this important, important character because they're referring to him as Jesus refers to him as the pat or the rabbi of Israel. So we know he's important. We know he's one of the guys that Jesus oftentimes has this most contentious relationship with. We know he's wealthy. There's all these things that that we kind of know about him. He seems to be important. Seems to be wealthy. Seems to be like this, you know, big shot. But I think the most important thing about Nicodemus is that he seems to be genuinely, genuinely seeking the truth. He seems to be genuinely coming to Jesus for answers, saying, I really want to know what's going on here, Jesus. And I think if we step back from it and and look at ourselves again, I think that's a really huge key for us as we approach Jesus, that we would approach him genuinely and wanting to know the truth. And, And the reason why I say that is because oftentimes Maybe it's just me, right? Maybe it's just, just my thing. But when I come to Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, I messed up. I have this going on in my life I don't really like. You know, could you fix it? Could you make me feel better and just handle this for me, Jesus? And the, oftentimes the response I get from Jesus is, yeah, I can I can do this. I can handle this for you. But here's where you need to change. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> Let's not talk about where I need to change. Just make me feel better and handle it, Jesus, right? But sometimes the truth, when we genuinely seek truth, it means we got to do something different as well. Jesus is going to speak into our lives, and it might challenge us, and we might not like it. But if you want to get to the truth, you got to step into that. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's genuinely seeking truth, and we're just going to kind of, instead of turning over tables, Jesus actually just has a conversation with the guy, right? And so what I want us to do today is I want us to kind of walk through the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And what we're going to see is Nicodemus essentially asked Jesus three questions. And so we're going to look at these three questions, look at how Jesus responds, and there's going to be in here probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. You might recognize it. So let's jump right in. We're going to be in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews, see a ruler of the Jews, That's he's an important person. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher because no one could perform these signs you do unless God was with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus's first question, it, you're like, that's not a question, Mike. Did you take English? There's no question mark there, right? It it's actually is a question. What Nicodemus is trying to do is he's essentially trying to get Jesus to prove his credentials. He's wanting to get into a theological discussion with Jesus. And Nicodemus, he, he actually comes out doing pretty well. He shows Jesus a sign of respect because what he does is he first and foremost, he acknowledges Jesus as somebody from God, which was a big deal because a lot of the Pharisees, the last thing they were saying about Jesus is that he is from God. Nicodemus walks in, he says, hey man, look, no one could be doing these things you're doing unless he was from God. Like, you got to be from God because I've never seen this before, right? <laughs> but and, and like, this was one of the biggest deals because the Pharisees had the hardest time acknowledging that Jesus was from God. As a matter of fact, not only do they not acknowledge that he's from God, oftentimes they accuse him straight of being from Satan. Like there's, in John 7, they accuse him of being demon possessed and try to kill him. Again, that is not the right answer, right? That's not what you're supposed to do when it comes to Jesus, so Nicodemus comes in, he shows him a sign of respect by acknowledging that he is from God. And essentially what he wants to do is find out more about Jesus. He wants Jesus to show, show Nicodemus that he has credibility. He wants to see his credentials. He says, let's get into a theological discussion. Let's talk about, you know, giving to the poor. Let's talk about what the Sabbath looks like. Let's talk about all these different things and break it down. And let me understand and see that you have credibility. If y'all know anything about Jesus, man, he doesn't take the bait. <laughs> He's like, no, we're not going to play that game. Instead, what Jesus does, he says this crazy thing about rebirth. He says, well, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be reborn. Nicodemus wants to talk about religion. Nicodemus wants to talk about theology. He wants to talk about Jesus' merits as a teacher. Jesus wants to talk about Nicodemus's heart. Jesus wants to talk about the nature of his relationship with God. And so what happens, and we do this a lot too, Nicodemus comes to Jesus wanting to talk about secondary issues. So we want to come in here like, all right, are we? how often do I need to go to church? You know, can I drink? Like, how much am I supposed to tithe? How much, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism? Let's talk about all these secondary things. And Jesus comes in and goes, all right, all those things are great. You know, we can talk about all those issues and we got answers for them. You know, that's great. But guess what? None of that matters if you don't get this over here. He's saying before we get into that theological discussion, before we do all that other junk, you got to know, Nicodemus, you must be reborn first. Unless none of the rest, it doesn't matter. It's just a waste of time when you're doing a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) Jesus says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Essentially what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is "Is there's something that has to happen to you and Jesus calls it being born again. There's something that has to happen to you in order for you to see God, in order for you to know God, in order for you to have a relationship with God and essentially get to heaven. And he calls it being born again. Why does he call it being born again? Isn't that a weird kind of way to phrase it? Essentially what Jesus is saying, you must be born again. In other words, you must be made new. And the reason why you must be made new is because the the person that you are right now, the thing that you are right now is broken. And there's something wrong with it. And there's something that's not right. Essentially, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born again because there's something about humanity as a whole that's broken and needs to be fixed. To quote, John Calvin, he says, by the word again, he's talking about this text, born again, he doesn't mean the amendment of a part, so not just fixing a certain part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. What Jesus is saying is the whole thing is broken, man, which is kind of a hurtful idea. Like, I think that we could all agree if I said, yeah, man, there's something wrong with this world. Humanity's broken, right? You know, this world's messed up. You'd all be like, yeah, turn on the news and you can see that it's messed up. You see people being hurt. You see people being, you know, you look, I mean, you just got to turn on the news. You see awful things all the time. You're like, yeah, humanity's broken. And we can agree with that, but no one wants to agree with, yeah, but you're broken. There's something wrong with you. Like, we're like, we're all good with you. That guy over there, Ryan, the, the singer, Something's wrong with that guy, right? We're okay with that. Until someone says, "But Mike, there's something broken in you too." I'm like, "Easy now. Come on now. I'm the preacher. I can't be broken. <laughs> it's kind of a hurtful idea." And what Jesus is essentially saying is, "You must be reborn. You must be remade. You must be made new because it's not a quick fix. You can't just get go go get the Ab Ripper X and be you know work on those abs and fix the whole thing, right? It's a whole renewal of the body. There must be a total rebirth." And I like Nicodemus because, you know, he reminds me of me. It's, it's not, to be honest with you, it's not usually a good thing when somebody in the Bible reminds you of yourself. Just don't point that out. Unless it's Jesus. Like Jesus says something like, yeah, that reminds me of me. Then you're just prideful and there's something wrong with you. But oftentimes you see, you see the Bible and you're like, oh man, yeah, that is definitely me. Sorry. Anyway, so this is how Nicodemus responds, probably the way that I would. But how can anyone be born when he is old? <laughs> Duh, right? Obvious question. Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? How can anyone be born with his own? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? I think we would probably all agree that that's a pretty fair question, don't you think? Right? If you don't think it's a fair question, you've just been a Christian too long. You've, you've missed it. You're out. You're gone. What's funny, and something that I actually love about Jesus, is that the concept of of born again like we think that's like this crazy like we're kind of used to it but at the same time we're looking at like that's kind of a crazy phrase for him to use but the concept of being born again wouldn't be that strange to nicodemus and the reason why is because in this Uh, just Hellenistic world that he's in. Um, They have all these different religions, all these different gods, and there actually is a concept of born again in that culture. It's not the same concept that Jesus is talking about, something totally different than what Jesus is talking about, but I love it because even though it's not the same, Jesus is using the imagery of the time to help Nicodemus see what he's talking about, a renewal of the nature, a rebirth. So it seems like Nicodemus is kind of being sarcastic, right? Like, that was my first. When I first read read this, I was like, Nicodemus, you better be careful, man. Jesus going to punk you, man. Like, I'll be born again, and in my mother's womb? I don't think so, right? But he's not being sarcastic. I don't, I don't think, anyways. Because Nicodemus would have actually understood this concept of a rebirth, and he would have understood that there's something broken in human nature. Like you forget that during this season, Nicodemus is actually here because they're going through a ceremonial season where they've come to the temple to make animal sacrifices to God because they understand that they're broken. Like this is a time period where they've come to make animal sacrifices to God in a way to say, God, I messed up. I know I can't fix it. Here's my sacrifice to you to try to appease you to say that I'm sorry in whatever way I can. So Nicodemus gets that he's broken, actually. Nicodemus gets that there's something wrong with human nature, but what Nicodemus is asking when he says, is it possible to reenter my mother's womb, what he's asking is, is it possible for human nature to be changed? Like, I get that I'm broken, but is it possible to fix something that's so broken? Is, is, it, is, it, is there a way to do this? Like, this is actually a pretty deep conversation, you know? Like, this is actually someone who's really looking for the truth. Can what's so broken be fixed? Can we really start over? Verse 5, Jesus says, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What? There's there's a lot that Jesus just said, but I'm going to try to just make it crunch it all together and give you the summary. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this isn't a physical rebirth. This is a this is something that's a spiritual rebirth. This is something that Nicodemus asked, can man be changed and can man be different? Can something that's so broken be changed? And Jesus' response is, you can't do it. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You can't do it on your own. But God can. God can. God will. He's saying God's Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst of that transformation in you. So no, you can't do it on your own, but God's Spirit is the catalyst for that transformation, which is why it's so funny whenever like Christians get real prideful about being super good Christians, right? Because it's not us transforming ourselves. Like, we didn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and go, I fixed myself, now I'm not a jerk anymore, now I'm healed, now I'm better, now I'm this. No, God's Spirit doesn't you like that. Like, a prideful Christian is an oxymoron, super heavy on the moron. I'm glad y'all got that. God's The transforming work is done by God. Jesus is saying, no, you can't fix yourself. You are so broken and there's nothing that you can do about it. You can't fix yourself. But God can fix it. God can heal it. God can restore it. Like, let me give you this example. Like, if you have a bad temper in traffic, I don't know. I heard people do. Maybe you might calm that temper down a little bit, or maybe you have a temper with your family or whatever it is, and you might be able to say, All right, I'm going to get a little bit better. And you work on it, you get a little bit better. And you might be able to fix a little bit of the symptoms of that temper, but you can't fix the anger that comes that brings that temper out. God's the one that heals that angry part of you. Does that make sense? God does that in you. So, God's, Jesus says, It's not something you do of your own, it's something the Spirit of God does in you. And so, Nicodemus. He's got more questions. The third question, how can these things be, asked Nicodemus. And this again, I love Jesus because he's feisty, right? How can these things be, asked Nicodemus, and Jesus makes fun of him a little bit. He says, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Don't you know these things? Essentially, he's going, Nicodemus, bro, you should know this. You should know this, Nicodemus. Aren't you a teacher of Israel? Don't you know these things? Jesus replied, I assure you, we speak and we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. In essence, I've been trying to tell you, man, but you won't accept what I'm trying to tell you. I have told you about these things that happen on earth and you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? So how will you understand how salvation happens if you can't understand these little things over here? Nikki, Nikki, sorry, Nicodemus. Those are the things I say in my head that aren't supposed to come out. (laughs) No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven. Jesus is essentially saying, I can go, I can know these things because I came down from heaven. He's trying to tell him, I'm God, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So, I mean, I appreciate Nicodemus because Jesus is throwing him some deep stuff here. And Nicodemus just keeps pushing in and pressing in and saying, I want to know more. He's asking the question, how can this be? He's really interested. He's baffled, but he wants to know what is this spiritual transformation? And Jesus mocks him a little bit. You know, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Points to his high status. He's confused and bewildered. Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended. And what Jesus is trying to say, he speaks to the point that he's the only one that has the ability to disclose these heavenly truths because he's the only one among humankind who has been from who is from heaven because he is God. So that was a whole lot, right? But he didn't actually answer Jesus or Nicodemus' question yet. The question essentially what Nicodemus asked when he said, How can this be? is so how can I be reborn? How does that happen then? You're talking about this thing. You're saying I'm broken. You're saying I can't fix it and I need this rebirth. How does this rebirth happen? And then Jesus, the great storyteller that it is, he refers to something that happened in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21. So in Numbers chapter 21, uh, the people of Israel, they keep messing up, and so they just keep wandering the desert for 40 years, right? And you all 'all know that story. And so they're wandering the desert for 40 years, and then they start getting bit by snakes, which that's not a good situation if you're lost in the desert. That's like on the top 10 list of things you don't want to happen to you. That'd probably be around number one, right? (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, they get bit by these snakes, and Moses, he crafts this serpent out of bronze. And so what the Bible says is he does this really weird thing. He holds this serpent up in the air that he's made out of bronze. And the Bible says that every person who had been bitten by snakes, who looked at that serpent, that bronze serpent, was healed. They were saved. And what Jesus is essentially saying, he uses that analogy, again, speaking to the context of Nicodemus, putting it in ways he could understand it. He uses the analogy essentially to say, I need to be lifted up. I need to be raised up. I need the world to know about me so that they can believe in me and have a relationship with me so that they can believe in me as God and they will have eternal life. Essentially when Nicodemus says, how do I get this salvation? How do I get this rebirth? Jesus says, I need to be lifted up. So if you believe in me as God, you can be saved. He's saying we're broken and we need to be reborn in order to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus, what he's telling Nicodemus is, I'm the only one who can provide that rebirth for you because I'm from heaven. And your response, your job is to believe in him as God, which leads to salvation, which leads to life transformation, which leads to the Holy Spirit coming in your life and transforming you and working on you and changing you and giving you life. And I can almost just see Nicodemus, like just the wheels turning, going, but how is that possible? Like if I would just, if I would believe in you as God, if I would make you my God, how can, how does that transform this wickedness in me? How does that heal me? Verse 16, y'all might've heard of this one. For God loved the world in this way. So Jesus he's just going to break it down for him. This is how that happened. He's going to remove the veil a little bit, show him the behind the scenes. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. And I think sometimes we hear it so much that we forget about its significance. What Jesus just said is, you're broken, right? He's been telling you're broken, you need healing, you need to be fixed, you are wicked without me, man. And what he said here is that God looked down on the earth, he looked down on the world, and he loved the world so much. And this, even for Nicodemus, is a revolutionary idea. Because the Jewish people, what's, what's crazy about them is they didn't actually believe that God loved the world. What the Jewish people believed was that God loved the Jews. He could care less about the world. And so for Jesus to even say here, for God loved the world, he's blowing Nicodemus' mind. Wait, you're saying you love everyone? You care about everyone, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what they've done, you love everyone? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What he's saying is he loved you so much This love for his creation drove him to send Jesus to earth to die for your sin. And Jesus says that everyone who believes in him would have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And I love that second part. For God did not send his son into the world to, excuse me, that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved Through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned because he is not, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And the reason I love this where he says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world is because he had every right to do that. Like he's looking down on the world, our wickedness, our sinfulness, like just how messed up we are. And he had every right to go, all right, let's just start this thing over. Let's just kill everybody. Let's just end this thing, redo. If I was God, that's what I would have done. I'm sorry. You're all dead. (laughs) But thank God I'm not God, right? And I and I (laughs) and I love this because so oftentimes we think of of jesus or we think of god as like this zeus up in the heavens who's just like waiting for you to mess up and strike you with the lightning bolt because he just hates you so much and he can't wait to fix you right but that's not who he is he says god look down on you and get this he looked down on you in your wickedness he looked down on you in your worst like the like he didn't look at the person that you you're bringing here today like church clothes like oh look at me i'm so put together and great no he saw your heart he looked past all of that stuff and saw the wickedest, the worst parts of who you are. And he said, I love you still. I love you still. And he sent Jesus, and instead of killing us all, <laughs> he sent Jesus not to condemn us and not to even say, you're wicked, Mike, you're evil, Mike, this is what you deserve, Mike. He sent Jesus to say, I love you, Mike. Mike. And I want to heal you, Mike. And I want to give you hope, Mike. And I want to save your soul, Mike. And you guys too, not just me. So that anyone who would believe in him, you're like, believe? So I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe he existed. No, the idea there is that we would believe in him as your God. That he would become your God. How does that happen there's kind of some steps, right, that we figured out. The first one is acknowledging that first thing that he talked about with Nicodemus, that you are a sinner, that you're broken, that there is something in you that needs to be fixed. Acknowledging that you need him to fix that. Acknowledging that you need him to forgive you for that wickedness. And then there's the, the step, the next step is going to him in prayer, acknowledging that and then asking him to forgive you and become your God and then following him with your life. And I know that we're all here, and, and you know, like, yeah, I've done that or whatever. But maybe you haven't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're like Nicodemus, and you've just been th- coming and dealing with the secondary issues. Like, I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithe. I'm doing my thing, and and I'm doing all this. You know, I'm doing good. Like, whenever they do, I love my city. I come and I I help the people. But Jesus would say to you, none of that matters unless you got the first part. Unless you've had that moment where you've been reborn unless you've had that moment where you've said to God, I am wicked, I am a sinner, I need your forgiveness, would you forgive me and be my God? I don't want us to get lost in focusing on those secondary issues, thinking we're just good because we're doing that. Because there's a danger if we just move out of here without dealing with that. Because you'd ask the question, well, what happened to Nicodemus? We don't really know the story moves on and the disciples, they just go to a different place with Jesus. We don't, like we see Nicodemus a couple different times. Like in John 7, we see him defending Jesus to the Pharisees. And then, um, and and later on when Jesus is crucified, uh, we see uh, Nicodemus, when all the disciples run away like a bunch of chickens, we see Nicodemus come and help bury Jesus' body. And so there's some evidence. Maybe he got saved. Maybe he gave his life to Jesus, but we don't know. Like oftentimes in the Bible, the way we know people got saved is they they acknowledge Jesus as God, and then they go tell everybody about it. Like the woman at the well, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Now I got to go tell everybody, right? That's kind of how that works. Or they're like the disciples. Jesus comes up and says, follow me. And they're going, yes, I'm coming. I'm going after that guy. So we don't really know what happens to Nicodemus. And like, what Like one of the greatest tragedies in the world it would be if Nicodemus had had God himself standing in front of him saying, you're broken, you need to be reborn, this is how it happens. And he went away and never was saved. Wouldn't that be tragic? I don't know, that was just kind of heavy on me this week as I was thinking about that. And the truth is, again, I think that happens so often in our world today, man. We're spiritual people looking for spiritual truths, but we never truly make that spiritual commitment to Jesus. We go here and get a little Jesus here. We go here, get a little this right over here. We go over here, this church, get a little bit over here. But it scares me when I read this text because I don't want our church to have people come through here who are just dealing with the secondary stuff, all that other junk that's fantastic. Like, look, we want you to tie That's fantastic. We love that, right? But we want you to be reborn first. Without that one, none of the rest matters, man. Nicodemus was seeking the truth. And I believe there's people in here who are seeking the truth, but don't leave this place, this place, without finding that truth. And so this is just how we're going to end. I'm going to pray like normal. The band's going to come up here and they're going to lead some some worship and we're going to worship God like normal. But I and but I want to encourage you, man. There's going to be people hanging out in the aisles and they're going to have the lapels on. And maybe if you've never truly given your life to Jesus, like you've never truly made that commitment, today would be a fantastic day to do that. And like the question is, if you're sitting there and you're going, I don't know if I have. Like, I think I have, like, I believe in him as God, but I don't think I, I would encourage you, man, come down, talk to those people with lapels on, lapels, those, whatever these things are. Lanyards. Lanyards, thank you. Talk to them. Talk to them and give your life to Jesus in that way. Like, wouldn't it be awesome today if somebody gave your life to God? I'm going to pray and I would encourage you, man, acknowledge your sin, realize you're broken. Forget about all the secondary issues and let's deal with this one first. Are you reborn? Have you had that day where you truly gave your life to Jesus? Like going to church, this doesn't make you a Christian. Giving your life to Jesus makes you a Christian. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for who you are, God. I, I, I just want to worship you today because you sent Jesus to save us, man. I want to worship you today because you gave your life for us, that you looked down on us in our wickedness and you knew, like, just for me, like, I'm gonna be selfish for a minute, you knew me at my worst and you still loved me and you still sent Jesus to save me. And so, Father, I, I know that that's true for everyone in here today. And so, Father, I just pray that that you would heal us. I pray that you would restore us. I, feel, I pray that if there's anyone in here who's not sure, God, that they would give their lives to you today. And I would pray, man, if there's people in here who've just wandered from you, like they've just gone astray, man, bring them back today, God. Bring them back. Lord, you loved them. You gave your son for them, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, sing this last song.